0: Hey, what's up? This is Gustavo Ariano. Every Friday, we're turning over the mic to one of my awesome LA Times colleagues. And today we welcome Dell Quentin Wilbur. His name sounds like he could headline the Grand Old Opry, but Dell actually covers criminal justice and national security for the Times. He's great, so that's why I'm excited to hear him do an episode about what Dell really loves, baseball. Today, he shares a story about the power of America's national pastime, how it offers an escape, and for some, survival.
1: I'm Del Quentin Wilbur. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Today is May 14, 2021. One thing you need to know about me is that I love baseball. It's in my family's DNA. My grandfather, Del Wilbur Sr., was a major league catcher. Played for 10 years during the game's golden age in the 1940s and 50s. My father played minor league ball. I played some in college. I now cover the Justice Department for the LA Times-Washington Bureau, The only time I've gotten to write anything about baseball was when pitcher Roger Clemens went on trial in 2012 on charges he lied about steroid use. So I was excited when I came across Barry Rosen's story. He's a lifelong Mets fan. That is despite the team's reputation for often losing.
2: The Mets have characteristics of the old Brooklyn Dodgers. I mean, I think that's one of their inheritances. The Dodgers used to blow everything, usually in World Series
1: with the Yankees. Like for so many of us, coronavirus upended Rosen's world. Baseball games were played in empty stadiums. They were still broadcasted, but it wasn't the same. It was as if uh,
2: nothing really existed. I tried last year to watch a few games, but I just couldn't do it really. It just didn't make any
1: sense anymore. I will explain in a bit the extraordinary story of how Rosen actually got into a game with coronavirus capacity restrictions. But for now, it's important to know why baseball is such a big part of Rosen's life and how it saved his soul, not once, but twice. Barry Rosen is 77. He has a bald head, thin gray goatee, and hazel eyes. I grew up in East New York, uh, in, in Brooklyn. It was an
2: Orthodox Jewish family but modern Orthodox. So my father was always into baseball. I mean, I don't particularly think many Orthodox... Maybe, well, maybe they are, because I remember going to to yeshiva. I went to uh, parochial school. And even in the 1955 World Series, they shut the classes down, and we were listening
1: to the game. Whenever his dad had enough money, they walked a few blocks to Ebbets Field on Sunday afternoons and sat in the right field bleachers. Just seeing Duke Snyder and
2: actually... Uh, Monty Irvin <laughs> play and just seeing those ball players at that time was one of the great golden ages of baseball.
1: In August 1967, Rosen joined the Peace Corps and traveled to Iran.
2: Of course, Iran was so so different from Brooklyn for sure, but I really fell in love with the place. I loved the Persian language. The people were very very nice, and they are still nice even with the repressive regime that they have right now.
1: Rosen returned to Brooklyn and got a master's degree in Iranian and Central Asian studies. He met his wife, Barbara, in 1970.
2: She struck me as very, very attractive. I think I did ask you for your number. I I think she gave me the number because
1: I think she wanted to get rid of me. Eventually, he won her over. They married and had children. A few years later, he joined the State Department, taking a job as a press attache at the U.S. Embassy in Iran. Here's Barbara.
3: When he first took the job, we thought we were going as a family. We thought that since the kids were preschool, we would go and he was interested in foreign service and then we would see how it is, if I liked it or not. What happened was that um, by the time my daughter was born, the revolution was already becoming very intense and he was told to go by himself. And so he did.
1: He left Barbara and their two young children in New York.
3: It was lonely. Um, luckily, I had a family around. His mother was not far away. Um, I had the children to worry about. So there was a lot to do every day. We didn't feel the nervousness because things were just quiet. He was there. I was. He would call. You know, we would talk on the phone. The news wasn't broadcasting that there were big problems.
1: It was the quiet before the storm. The country was in the midst of the Iranian revolution. The nation's leader, the Shah, was driven from power. Millions of Iranians took to the streets tonight across the country to celebrate the departure earlier today
2: of Shah Mohammad Reza Pahlavi. In Tehran, jubilant crowds surged through the streets, singing, chanting, honking horns in a gigantic street festival.
1: Many in Iran deeply resented U.S. support for the Shah. To them, the U.S. government was the great Satan. In January, 1979, the Shah was forced to flee. When President Jimmy Carter allowed the Shah, Mohammad Reza Pahlavi, to enter the U.S. for cancer treatment, Iranian students grew so angry that on November 4, 1979, they stormed the U.S. Embassy in Tehran. Thus began the Iranian hostage crisis. The
2: American embassy in Tehran has been occupied by demonstrators There is no indication that any of our people have been hurt, and we are in touch with Iranian authorities.
1: For 444 days, Rosen and 51 other Americans were held hostage by militants. Rosen and others endured torture, solitary confinement, sleepless nights, and even mock executions. We will have more after this break. As you just heard, in 1979, Barry Rosen and 51 other Americans were being held hostage in Iran.
2: I remember trying to get out of the pain I was in, and the pain was real. I mean, it was very, very difficult there, sometimes living in darkness and feeling fear
1: of possibly dying. I couldn't sleep. Amid the torture and deprivation, he settled deeply into his mind, creating fantasies about going with his father to Ebbets Field in Brooklyn. It calmed his nerves. It helped him sleep. I don't
2: think anybody could really understand it except perhaps one of my my colleagues who also suffered through that experience. I really do think that imagery was very important and the imagery of being with my father to go to a baseball game. My father was a very endearing figure a very wonderful man, and I just enjoyed being with him and knowing that I was always safe with him. And baseball did have that sense of safety for me. It was something that I loved as a little boy,
1: and I never grew out of it. Then one day, perhaps four months into confinement, he was granted 20 minutes alone in a small courtyard.
2: The actual green area was a rectangular area. It was very small, and I would walk around it, but I think of it as as a baseball field. It was was one of these things that you have perhaps once in your lifetime, you know, you're, I mean, how many times do you you get the opportunity to escape from prison in your your mind? So I, I needed that very, very much. I needed to think of freedom and I think baseball had that quality of freedom.
1: It was about four months into his captivity. Barry Rosen hadn't seen that much sun or been outside since November 4th, 1979. Back in New York, Barbara was watching everything unfold on the news, but she was also talking to the press. Here she is in April of 1980. I
2: think a peaceful
3: solution to the problem, and I think that the, uh, the public has to show patience in, in uh, you know, the time also help in this because they think that it's not going to be solved until the time is right and you know the two things have to work together
1: the hostage crisis ended in january 1981 on the day ronald reagan was inaugurated president
2: i have been given a tagline the get-off line that everyone wants for the end of a toast or a speech or anything else some 30 minutes ago the planes bearing our prisoners Left Iranian airspace. The American
1: hostages, including Rosen, were freed. When he got off the plane in New York, he spotted his wife, Barbara, in the crowd. He he looked like a skeleton. So thin, so gaunt. Rosen didn't recognize the two youngsters with his wife. His four-year-old son, Alexander, and his two-year-old daughter, Ariana. They had grown so much in the nearly two years since he had last seen them.
2: The Alexander that I left was a little man. He He looked so... He
1: was already four. Four. He was so handsome and so sweet. Behind the scenes, when he got home, Rosen struggled to connect with his children who viewed him as a stranger.
2: I assumed that he, he remembered me. I don't think he actually did, but he was so loving. Whereas Ariana did not remember me because I left when she was born. So when I came off the airplane uh, with a, a little doll, I gave her She took it and didn't look at me.
1: Meanwhile, in public, the former hostage was showered with gifts. A new vacuum cleaner, hundreds of coupons to a local restaurant, a Persian rug. Letters poured in. One day, he opened one for Major League Baseball, offering an American hero a uniquely American gift. A lifetime past the nation's pastime. It entitled Rosen and a guest entry to any regular season game from coast to coast. It only
2: has... Two stipulations, no playoff games and no World Series.
1: The brass pass was the color of gold. Such lifetime passes are usually reserved for retired players and U.S. presidents. So this was a big deal. At the time, Rosen didn't grasp the significance of what he called the golden ticket. He had other things weighing on him. Coming home isn't just
2: roses when you go through an experience like that. Most of us who came home were deeply, deeply affected. And I think everybody was, in fact. And there, no doubt in my own life, I've gone through periods of ups and downs and a strong sense of PTSD.
1: We will have more after this break. I have been telling you the story of Barry Rosen, who was working for the U.S. Embassy in Tehran when he was taken hostage for 444 days. He had just gone back to the U.S. in 1981, and Rosen found himself dealing with PTSD. Not only that, he was a stranger to his own family. He didn't recognize his children, and they didn't trust to leave the house with him.
3: Unless I was there with them. And I always said, well, that made sense to me because if he goes out and he disappears for two years, You know, why do I want to trust him and go out with him and be alone? Because maybe I won't come home either.
1: Rosen didn't know what to do until his wife suggested he take his children to a baseball game, thanks to a lifetime pass he and the other hostages had received. Rosen and his son and daughter went to about 30 games that season. There was ice cream, hot dogs, flat RC Cola. Over that fantastic summer, the father and two children built a bond despite the Mets finishing in fifth place. The Mets were very, very bad. But no matter what, it didn't matter. It really didn't matter. Over the years, they kept going to games, even as Rosen's status as a hero faded. His seat steadily marched further from home plate and well into the upper deck. The Mets stopped allowing him to bring an extra guest. Frequently, customer service reps didn't know what to do when Rosen tried to redeem his pass. Most had no idea what the Iranian hostage crisis even was or that Major League Baseball had ever given out such golden tickets.
2: I wish the teams would be a little bit more, I would say, sensitive to us now, even now. But I do think that, you know, like anything else, it's a corporate situation right now in baseball. It's no longer the 1950s. Um, It's big, big, big money. But uh, I do think a seat here and a seat there is not going to hurt the bottom line.
1: When I talked to Rosen in April, he had heard the Mets were opening up Citi Field to fans after a year of pandemic shutdown. Rosen eagerly emailed customer service to get tickets. He had badly missed going to games, not only with his children, but for the peace that still provided him. I,
2: I got a response from the Mets. It was polite, and they just said, at this time, we're not honoring lifetime passes, but uh, please contact us in May. And so it was a disappointment, but I understood it. And then somebody, somebody (laughs) called
1: the Mets up. That was me. As I was reporting the story, I emailed the Mets for comment on why they had stopped honoring Rosen's lifetime pass. The Mets called within a half
2: an hour and said to me that they will have four
1: seats tomorrow. The team reversed itself and gave Rosen and a fellow hostage, John Limbert, seats to a game in April. Pod's not working. Oh, how's it going? Good, very good. We're, we're uh, right near home plate. On, um, the afternoon they went to the game, I spoke to Rosen via FaceTime as he and his wife and Limbert's grandson Otto entered City Field. Seating was strictly limited; capacity was capped at about twenty percent. The stadium, Rosen told me, had a ghost-like feel. It's
2: strange. It is a strange feeling, and we were commenting on that. There's so many empty seats and everything is blocked off.
1: Even so, yeah. Rosen acted like a kid at Evans. His voice animated, his eyes wide open. So is it, are you, what is it, does it feel like old times? feels great. It does feel great to be
2: here. Really? I no doubt about it. It's always good to be back in, this, in the early spring. It turned out to be a perfect day and I, I like that. I mean,
1: here. As I was putting the finishing touches on this story, I kept wondering if I was making too much of how a game saved a hostage. Journalism necessitates simplifying complex things at times, and there were many other factors that helped Rosen heal. But I also believe it's often the simple things that help us reconnect with ourselves and our families. For some, it's fishing or hunting or yoga. For Rosen, it was as simple as going to the ballpark. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and crack the jack. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. For well, it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old.
0: And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Stephen A. Cuevas, and Denise Guerra. Our executive producer is Abby Fentress-Swanson. Our engineer is Mario Diaz, and our theme music is by Andrew Epen. Special thanks to Julia Turner, Hector Becerra, Shelby Grad, Steve Padilla, Barry and Barbara Rosen, Kirk McCoy, Laura Wides-Munoz, and Kimbriel Kelly. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back Monday with all the news in desmadre. Gracias.